0: Welcome to today's episode of the Fuck Saving Face podcast. I'm really excited because I get to interview my friend, Margaret Yal Calvani. So we did this interview at her home in Encinitas, California. She's been featured in Surfer Magazine in actually the last publication of the magazine before it went out of print in regards to motherhood and surfing and running a business. And you'll hear Margaret's story about how she was raised with very traditional understandings of what her career trajectory was supposed to be. Then met her husband, Matt, who's a well-known shaper, and then the rest is unfolding as it is. She's a remarkably generous and hilarious person, and I've been lucky enough to be able to share traditional Chinese culture here in North County, San Diego. We've done Lunar New Year together, we've done Hot Pot together, it's been so fun, and also because our kids are both biracial, so she has two children who are half white, half Asian like my own daughter, and so it's been also wonderful to have that sense of community in regards to the fact that our children get to see other children who look like them, who have this blended family dynamic, who are bridging cultures between the mother side and the father side. So I hope you'll get a lot out of this interview that you will laugh as much as I did, and that, you know, you can go check out Bing Surfboards and get one of her amazing boards. I was so lucky that Matt custom-shaped a board for me for my birthday. My friends surprised me, and they got me a wonderful, incredible, amazing longboard that has my tattoo on it, the design of my tattoo. So enjoy the interview. Welcome to the Fuck Saving Face podcast. I'm your host, Judy Tsui, and together we'll explore mental and emotional health for Asian Americans, especially breaking through any taboo topics. Life may not always be pretty, but it is indeed beautiful. Let's make your story beautiful today. Okay, we are back with another episode of the Fuck Saving Face podcast, which is all about breaking taboos and talking about mental and emotional health for the model, quote unquote, model minority. So today, I didn't even ask you if you want me to use your full name, Margaret Yalcalvani. That's (laughs) me. So... She is the owner of Bing Surfboard, so for anybody who's in San Diego or beyond, because you're a global brand, maybe you have a Bing Surfboard, and Margaret and her husband, Matt, own the company, and you know, it's one of the many amazing things that Margaret does. She's also an incredible community leader who rallies a bunch of moms, so I'm just gonna say that too. But I'm gonna turn it over to Margaret to talk a little bit about your cultural background, and, and then we'll dive into a conversation about surfing, about having biracial children, And uh, more, (laughs) so go for it.
1: (laughs) Okay, Um, Margaret Yao Calvani, I'm a Taiwanese-American, born in the U.S., grew up in a predominantly Asian community in Arcadia, California, (laughs) and, you know, walked the path of a first-generation Chinese-American, basically, born Mm -hmm. to—my parents immigrated from Taiwan— in the 70s. And my brother and I were born here. Later on, my little brother came. So we were all
0: raised kind of straddling the two worlds. (laughs) So Margaret, um, I'm actually here at Margaret's house. Um, You know, we'll say we're six feet apart (laughs) during the pandemic. And um, so you might hear kids running around the background. But um, we are in Encinitas, California, which is a wonderful place to be. But Margaret now owns a surf brand, although before she was on the fast track to business success. And um, I remember we went to dinner recently and you were telling me that you used to go surfing, then like have water dripping out of your nose as you try to like put on heels and like go into your um, work. So can you tell me about what you used to do before all this? Yeah, definitely
1: very drastic career change um, i did the you know star student high school did went to ucla like the good asian student <laughs> from arcadia and you know double majored in economics and chinese literature and wow. then got the got the you know big 5 job at arthur anderson consulting mm-hmm. and then you know just kind of walked the beaten path of <laughs> be you know UCLA grad and did five years in the business consulting world but the whole and I also discovered surfing in college so you know it was something that was always part of my like working I guess adulthood where did you go um, surf at UCLA I surfed in Malibu mm. I learned to surf at first point Malibu wow was magical place to learn mm. to serve this perfect right hand win break mm. and the culture is just so ingrained there and it was just such like a magical thing and I, I played collegiate sports too for a little bit so it was like just having that physical outlet was a big deal for mm. me but you know career was definitely like the main goal and you know graduating with honors and getting a good job out of college was all just about you know that's what being American is
0: about (laughs) did your parents like pressure you to go to UCLA or I mean like did they have expectations of you I think
1: by by high school it was just so I was just so hardwired like (laughs) they didn't even have to say anything or do anything I was on the like fast track you know four APs (laughs) you know senior year and just like burning the candle at both ends and SAT prep and volunteer work and just everything under the sun, you know, it was just building up that resume and building up the college application. So by then I was already hardwired. I was going to my best option. And, you know, we actually had an argument because I got into an Ivy league school in, in Pennsylvania, but you know, they didn't really want to pay for it. They wanted me to stay in state. So UCLA was kind of like the the, uh, backup.
0: I remember that being an argument with my parents where I wanted to apply to East coast schools. And I was like, but, the, but they're that, but their Ivy Leagues are better than like, right. and then they wouldn't let me do it. So it was know, probably was like that. Harvard or bust. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. pretty
1: standard. I mean, my parents, you know, weren't like crazy academically like pressuring parents, but I mean, it's just part of the culture, and mm-hmm. you just grow up with that expectation. And if you have any ounce of like drive, you just drink the Kool Aid mm-hmm. and you just walk the path, you know, and you just fall into
0: line. And, and you're the oldest of three. You're also the oldest I'm in, girl. I'm in the middle. Oh, you're the middle. Yeah. Oh, that's I'm right. Your brother's older than you. So do they have different expectations of you because you were a girl? Um, I actually think my, my older brother and I are literally like only
1: a hot minute <laughs> apart. He's 11 months older. So we were kind of like twins. Mm. But I mean, he actually bore the brunt of mm. the pressure mm. um, as the like eldest male. Mm-hmm. I kind of just was like the star middle child, you know, that could do no wrong. And I, you know, definitely
0: fulfilled that role. And, basked in it you know, <laughs> obnoxiously I'm sure. Um, and so when you were choosing majors was it just like a foregone conclusion that that's like what you're going to do? I actually
1: started out as
0: an English lit major which ah. was very non-traditional
1: and very raised some eyebrows like what are you gonna that's do? That's right I that?
0: majored in English. I know
1: right <laughs> I loved reading I loved lit I had a very inspirational high school like AP English <laughs> teacher and definitely raised eyebrows but I definitely like succumbed to the pressure of like okay well I'll double major in business Mm. econ just Mm. to like make the parentals happy Mm. and satisfy my role as a you know second Chinese American child (laughs) first first child went you know computer science so it was like he checked the box and then you know second child couldn't be an English lit major only uh, solely so I had to like double in something and then you know I hit uh, Milton and I just ruin the towel oh yeah
0: that's, that's where I was like oh no what have I, I couldn't myself? Get over myself
1: <laughs> so I picked up Chinese uh,
0: <laughs> literature as like a second major because there was like overlap with ah.
1: international economics
0: so can you tell me how you found surfing like did someone introduce it to you while you're in college or yes
1: my first friend in college was
0: a a guy
1: named Nathan became one of my best friends is my one of my best friends oldest friends mm-hmm. he was from Maui he lived down the hall from me freshman year and we just became friends and he sort of was like one day he's like we should get some surfboards and like find out where the surf breaks are and that was the closest I'd ever lived to the ocean because mm-hmm. I lived inland in mm-hmm. Arcadia so mm-hmm. you know we did that and we found a Malibu and
0: it was this perfect wave so it just kind of was natural it was so fun so for everybody listening it was explained to me, and I will totally attest this, Margaret shreds. <laughs> so we have a mutual close friend. And uh, when I, before I met Margaret, um, this mutual friend said, yeah, Margaret just, like, shreds. She's such a shredder. And so, like, you're an amazing surfer, which, um, you know, is just huge. So how did you end up owning Bing? <laughs> yeah, so I'm not
1: that good. I mean, no, in, in the grand, you know, <laughs> stage of surfing... I'm just kind of like a competent surfer. Um, (laughs) She got barreled in Fiji this last year. So, you know, okay, so go ahead. Um, So I, you know, was surfing a lot on the side during school and uh, got, you know, got to know some of the local uh, surf club members and they invited me to join the Malibu Surfing Association, which is one of the longest running surf clubs in California and slowly just got to know members of the club. There's kind of a series of competitions that are hosted by each surf club in each area. So I started doing the contests and then... Were you
0: in the contest? I compete. Yeah.
1: I competed in the contest, you know, definitely dabbled in the like professional Hmm. longboard world for a hot minute. (laughs) You know, it was never like a career, but it was an excuse to travel. And Mm -hmm. it was always fun to sort of travel to these exotic places and with your group of friends who were all competing and mm-hmm. it was just a good time mm-hmm. um but I I got picked up by Hap Jacobs who is uh sort of like the Henry Ford mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. surfboard manufacturing mm-hmm. he's like one of the original guys he picked me up as a team writer and started you know building me surfboards so I became sponsored and he would give me boards to ride, and then I would sort of promote his brand. I mean, he's such a long-standing brand anyway; it mm-hmm. didn't really take much promotion. But and then uh, he was in his seventies, and he decided one day that he was going to retire mm. and leave the the brand to his mentee, his like prodigy. Now my now husband, <laughs> <Matt> Belvani. <laughs> so Matt took over the label, and at the time, Matt was already building two other legacy labels, uh, Rick Surfboards and Bing Surfboards. And they were all Bing, Jacobs, Rick were all competitors in Mm. like the 60s during the like golden era of longboarding. Mm. So it kind of made sense. He was already building these other labels, those style boards. And he meant, you know, Hap was his mentor. So Hap was, became like a grandfather to me, you know, introduced me to Matt as my new sponsor. Mm. And then, you know, at first it was kind of, a little bit of friction because hap was really generous with the boards didn't ever ask for any sort of accountability like didn't ask for any money it was just like very very casual and matt was kind of like you know young up-and-comer definitely watched his dollars was kind of like hey are you gonna pay for this or are you gonna bring in another board to trade in for this i mean he was definitely tightening the reins with the team so we were just like a bunch of spoiled kids basically and um yeah, then we kind of hit it off, and uh, which is why our first son is named Jacob. <laughs>
0: <We> <laughs> no named idea. Him Hap. Yeah, oh. I mean,
1: we. I asked if you wanted to name him Hap,
0: but we were like, well, you know, maybe we'll go with something a little more traditional. <laughs> <laughs> um, were you one of the few Asian American surfers at the time? Definitely in the Malibu scene, yeah. There wasn't a whole lot.
1: I mean, there was a few, but... I mean, obviously surfing has its heritage in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So there's always this like Hawaiian, and, you know, there's this Hawaiian element to mm-hmm. surfing. So there's always Asians, but you know, in the Malibu scene and the LA scene, there wasn't a ton, mm-hmm. but there were a lot of women in the Malibu scene. Cause that wave is just attracts a lot of mm-hmm. graceful surfers. Mm-hmm. Like my good friend, Ashley Lloyd was an amazing surfer, Carla Roland, who's like the queen of Malibu and, mm-hmm. you know, um, Brittany Leonard and just Belinda Bags. I mean, they were all Cassia Metter. They were all Malibu girls, you know, mm-hmm. Julie Cox. But so the the women, the female scene was strong. I mean, I think Asian wise, yeah, I was one of the few. If what did not your the parents say did? about it? <laughs> yeah. um, I remember the day that they, you know, they. My parents are pretty reserved about crazy (laughs) oh for sure there's that they're stingy on that they're they're chinese uh but just you know they're they're pretty reserved about their judgment of like my choices Mm. um they knew i was getting into it but they didn't ever like express any you know objection about it Mm -hmm. they just kind of knew like i played sports in high school and college and i just needed something you know Mm -hmm. so it just made sense that i was going to find something that i was into but I remember the day that I surfed a big day at Topanga Canyon, and I got run over really bad by a guy and, like, split my head open. It was, like, bleeding out of my head in the middle of the winter during a big swell and had to be, like, rushed to, you know, back to UCLA to, like, the urgent care and be, like, sewn up and had, like, 20 stitches in my head. Like, part of my hair got, like, oh cut off. And, I mean, my mom cut. That was the first time she's, like, are you sure surfing is you know, what you should be doing at this age, you know? (laughs) I mean, at like 21, she was telling me that, you know, you're not that young. Like, Mm. you can't just be getting mowed over and end up in the hospital.
0: So, you know. That was the only thing she ever said. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, um, yeah. Margaret and I have been mistaken for one another <laughs> by other people here, so I think that that uh, still happens. And my parents are like, "Why are you surfing? You're gonna be." I am already naturally dark. They joke that it's because. I was put in an incubator when I was born, so I was born premature, so I got an early start on a tan, and so I'm super dark, and so then, you know, dark in uh, Asian culture is usually not seen as a coveted feature, um, even though I would go out, you know, on the west side of LA and have girls come up to me and be like, where would you get your tan from? I'm like, the sun? I don't know, where else would you get it from? Um, so my mother is very afraid that I'm going to look terrible. Soon. So, um, but we both have half and half children as well. What has been your experience of raising your kids? And you know, you bring a lot of Chinese culture into their lives. Like we did hot pot here. Um, I see you doing dumpling rolling with them. You know, you're close to your family. So your au pair is a relative, so you speak Mandarin to them, like what, what have you tried to keep and hold on to? Are there things that you do differently? Because, you know, Matt's a white guy, (laughs) just like my ex-husband was a white guy. So there's different cultures and ethnicities blending together. Wait, one thing about the tan, just before we get into the (laughs) cultural,
1: it's funny because My dad actually was naturally dark. Mm. He grew up on a farm in Mm. Taizong. So Mm. I don't know if that has something to do with it. Mm. But um, so the dark, like they let me hang out in the sun till I was like purple Mm. when I was a kid. (laughs) So it's funny, the tanness didn't really bother my my parents and my mom was super fair. But what's funny is like in high school, I developed like a full like hunch because I was... Like, my family's quite tall. for yeah. they Asian. Yeah. And I just felt like I just was towering over most of my schoolmates because yeah. it was predominantly Asian. And so I developed this, like, weird, like, hot, like, slouch. Oh, and it, as someone pointed out to me, like, <laughs> when I was in college, like, why don't you sit up straight? Like, one of my roommates, like, you, you should sit up straight. And I'm like, what do you mean sit up straight? I'm like, you're, like, kind of slouchy, you know? So it's funny. Like, I never was, like... Self-conscious about being dark. Mm. I was more self-conscious about being tall. Oh, funny. <laughs> so, anyway, that was just a yeah. side bit. But um, going back to the cultural, yes, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, I've always tried to, like, tap into that side of, you know, my culture. It wasn't, like, we weren't raised as ABCs, mm-hmm. as American-born Chinese, in the way where, you know, my parents encouraged us to, like, assimilate or... You know, fit in or like blend in you know mm. like we didn't have that growing up. we were very like you know we're Chinese, mm. we're not like trying to mm. you know force it in people's faces, but we're this is what we do like for example, we did not celebrate Christmas, mm. and it didn't matter year after year how much <laughs> we begged and begged and begged, they never gave in, mm. they never bought us a Christmas tree, we never exchanged gifts like. I would say 10 plus years we begged and begged and they didn't give in. And I don't know if it was on principle or they just were like, this is just not what we do. This is not in our culture, you know? So, you know, they, they, they held fast to a lot of traditions and didn't like buy in, I guess, <laughs> to a lot of American culture mm-hmm. so that we could maintain that. You know, I went to Chinese school for 10 solid years. We finally, I, like chiseled them down to where they let us stop but i mean it took a long time we played we took piano lessons you know we did all the cultural dancing and the you know the
0: <laughs> oh my god the kung fu dancing. like yeah. the whole the the chinese yeah.
1: calligraphy yeah. we did the chinese um like nodding but you didn't
0: do the chinese speech competitions
1: Oh, you know, there was like a, a split second
0: that that, that was <laughs> with the hand part gestures of and everything thing, that yeah. I was like that was a big deal. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. My mom was a Chinese speech teacher, <laughs> so the fact that I sucked at it so hard was so mortifying for her. Like, I just we did the Chinese school thing too, um, and I'm curious if part of like the not being ABC, like because we were, we were told to assimilate, but they specifically chose to live in a white, a predominantly white neighborhood on the west side of LA. Even though their businesses were in Roland Heights because, which was like a 45 minute, yeah, you know, drive wow. every day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so they didn't want us to live with all of the other Asian kids. They wanted us specifically to live on the West Side. So I wonder. And then they got mad at us for like not learning Mandarin enough. Like you can actually read Mandarin. I can identify characters, <laughs> a few of them. <laughs> so, with Google. Uh, yeah. I Google translated <laughs> the screen. Um, so I wonder if that was like, I, you know, how far back that decision stems. Yeah,
1: that's interesting. Um, we definitely lived in a very, like, predominantly Chinese community. I mean, they, you know, it's like we went to the Chinese grocery store and we mm-hmm. ate Chinese food predominantly, like, mm-hmm. the, you know, with the occasional, like, you know, run to KFC or McDonald's mm-hmm. or whatever they deemed was, like, American. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's a big deal for me to, like, retain that for my children because we're in a you know bicultural household and Mm -hmm. family and you know my husband he i'm I'm probably the first asian person he's ever dated (laughs) so it's not like he's you know yeah cultured in in or or just studied in our culture or anything like that yeah and you know he comes he's a surfboard builder he's Mm -hmm. not like a not like an Mm -hmm. academia kind of guy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's new to him and he definitely, he Mm -hmm. isn't even a fan of Chinese food, to be honest. He's
0: such a good sport, though. (laughs) Yeah, he
1: kind of goes with the flow. But, you know, it's like, it's important for me to like celebrate Chinese New Year and, you know, have the Chinese food occasionally and like bring my kids back to where my mom lives, which is essentially Chinatown, Mm -hmm. and eat you know ethnic food and i even brought jacob to taiwan with me when he was three and hopefully you know once people can travel Mm -hmm. openly again we'll make the trips back there and just share that with them you know i mean we're trying to do the language at home with jacob i you know first kid is just experimental you know (laughs) and it was just so traumatic to like get it you know to understand what it was trying to communicate yeah. with him that I I was, I was just gave up on yeah. introducing a second language. <laughs> but the do-over kid, you know, the second one, <laughs> I've definitely made it a priority to incorporate, you know, Chinese Mandarin into our daily lives to the point where I, you know, the, our first au pair was from China, mm-hmm. Lisa, um, from Sichuan, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, to just speak Mandarin. Yeah, that's it. And then second au pair, I got lucky, and my cousin, you know, was just graduating from college, and decided to come be our au pair so she's been with us for two years and same thing speaks Mandarin. so Coco speaks she understands Mandarin she doesn't speak it so much but
0: I think she she can
1: she just chooses not to
0: do they say anything ever about like the I mean it's just normal to them I'm sure just to like be infused with all of the culture is there anything that you notice that's like I mean I noticed that as much as I try, and I don't think I'm as good about it, and especially because she's, you know, switching from week to week, parent to parent. So I try to make sure that she's listening to Chinese podcasts, and like tr- I try to speak it as much as possible with her, but then. I noticed she won't speak it back to me unless I specifically ask what was infuriating. Is it when we were living in Taiwan and I was sending her to the Montessori school there or whatever, like she didn't want to learn it. Didn't want to speak it. Like I'm sure that the staff members as kind as they were probably like spoke to her in English. Cause it was probably just easier at times. <laughs> and then the last week before we were moving, she was like, I'm ready to learn Mandarin. I was like, no, you're oh, not. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's,
1: the language, I don't even know. I have no idea if it'll stick, mm. to be honest. Mm. And I think it's going to take having, like, a Mandarin-speaking child care person mm-hmm. to kind of make it stick, because I revert back to English myself, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, I want to be able to include Matt yeah. in our mm-hmm. discussions, mm-hmm. and it's hard. You know, it feels ex- kind of like I'm excluding him mm-hmm. when we speak in Mandarin, and he doesn't Mm. know what's going on so it is kind of tricky but you know whatever they absorb they absorb Mm -hmm. at least it's something you Mm -hmm. know like at least my i can feel proud that like you know food's a big deal like as long as they're not adverse to eating it you know i mean exactly because it can
0: be weird totally it
1: can totally be different and i'm glad that they're not afraid to try Mm it
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know and they jacob loves it
0: they both are, love it. Are there things that you didn't like when you were growing up being parented in that way that you've seen yourself replicate or change?
1: I mean, I definitely find myself leaning pretty hard on, you know, a traditional public education. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Living in Lucadia, <laughs> you know, there's definitely a lot of alternative ideas of what a child's education should be like. Totally. and. I've just kind of like stood firm on you know he's going to he's going to assimilate to a public education and he you know Jacob had the roughest time mm-hmm. entering public school. Mm-hmm. I mean he went to a um Reggio Emilia mm-hmm. preschool and then even before that he went to a like nature-based mm-hmm. uh daycare. Mm-hmm. So he definitely went the alternative route the mm-hmm. first few years but then you know when it came time to like start real school i just <laughs> threw him into the fire you know and I, and he's he had a rough rough transition going from you know these kind of alternative philosophies yeah. to this like very regimented very academically driven and it and i put him in a dual language mm-hmm. program to boot mm-hmm. so here he is like one out of 25 kids with the one teacher and this like very regimented. I mean, he wanted, he wanted to run away from school every morning and it kind of broke my heart, you know, like I didn't either, but I, you know, just the like tiger mom in me yeah. just said, it's okay. Like we can acclimate, mm-hmm. like he will learn how to go to this kind of school <laughs> where I think, you know, if I didn't come from that background, I might say, you know what, this kind of program isn't for yeah him he's he's free spirited he's he likes to be outdoors he belongs in more of like a you know Mm nature-based kind of program but i just you know i'm just chinese and (laughs) some things are hard to shake (laughs) but at the same time i'm also very alternative in that every minute he spends outside of school is like in some kind of outdoor Mm -hmm. physical you know we do surf lessons we Mm -hmm. do he's at the skate camp i mean Mm -hmm. skate camp that's that's mm-hmm. as far from Asian as, <laughs> <laughs> as you you know like i put him on a skateboard at uh-huh. age like 4 and uh-huh. i put him on a surfboard at age 5 and you know i made him swim like at age 2 mm-hmm. like he you know he's he's definitely a m- blend of both mm-hmm. worlds mm-hmm. where i'm i'm very focused on making him very active and very outdoorsy and making sure he stays off of the ipad <laughs> <which is possible. laughs>
0: Um, What when you made that transition from leaving the tried and true career that you had at the big five to what it is that you're doing now, did you have feelings about it? And like, or did other people have feelings about it that they expressed to you? Yeah. Oh, a lot. There's a lot of like
1: naysayers for sure. Mm. And within my family, I mm. mean, you know, nothing to like, by then I was 25. I was mm. an adult. I was going to make my own decisions. Mm. And I think my, my parents, you know, at the time, I mean, I, I'd already lost my dad mm-hmm. so he wasn't he probably would have had a lot more to say. And he, you know, losing him kind of steered me in that direction. I mean, my dad was an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had his own business and was an immigrant trying to like make it in mm-hmm. a, a new country. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like I really followed his footsteps, though I think he would have like disapproved of my like choice of industries <laughs> um because he really, you know, with my older brother, he was always very like my my older brother graduated from UC Irvine with a a computer science degree and went to work at IBM. And that was like, he was a very strong proponent of that track, you know? So I graduated from UCLA, went to go work for a big five. And that was also very in line with what he expected us to do. But then, you know, he passed away suddenly in a car accident and it kind of like made, like shook me. Like, what am I doing? You know, like I'm, I'm working this job, but I'm like sneaking out to surf, Mm -hmm. you know, midday or Mm -hmm. like trying to surf at dawn and Mm -hmm. walking into corporate meetings with water coming out (laughs) of my nose and wet hair. And, you know, like people all, all the time, like clients or like fellow consultants would say, you are really out of place. (laughs) Like, is this really what you want to be doing? And I'm like, I don't know what I want to be doing. You know, this is just what I think I'm supposed to be doing. So that kind of made me change gears and I started to prep to go to business school because, mm-hmm. you know, grad school is the answer to like switching careers. And then my um, my GMAT prep teacher, Charles, I mean, I still keep in touch with him. It's like, he, he, I was like in this like group, this like lecture hall. He was like really fascinated with me because I was like, well, I'm going to go get a, a business degree. I'm going to go get an MBA, but I'm going to go into the surf industry after that. He's like you're going to get an MBA to go into the surf industry. Do you need an MBA? You know? And he's like, just, just go. And he kind of was like, I mean, I'm going to prep you for the GMAT, but you should just go into the surf industry. If you want to go into the surf industry. And I was like, well, shoot. <laughs> I, mean, I, He's like, why spend, you know, 200 grand yeah. on an MBA when right. you just, you have an opportunity to go into the surfboard industry. You should just do it. Mm-hmm. So he almost inadvertently talked me out of going to business school. <laughs> and then when, you know, like, when I recognized that... I mean, I was a business consultant, so I spent Fridays working from home, which really meant working from Matt's factory, so that we could hang out, because I traveled Monday through Thursday. So mm-hmm. I'd hang out with him on Fridays, I'd do my, you know, meet a few conference calls and do a little bit of work, and then we'd hang out, and I'd just see, like, wow, you, you really could use, like, some mm-hmm. improvements mm-hmm. around here. I mean, mm-hmm. for starters, you could you should get a computer. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't know what you're doing, like, for bookkeeping, but... <laughs> And he would show me this cardboard box with, like, all these papers and foam dust. Oh He's like, oh, I've got these invoices here. And I would pick them up, and they're all handwritten. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that works. But, you know, I'm like, you have ten surfboards on here, but you only have nine prices. So you you missed one, you know? <laughs> like, they're $1,000. You probably shouldn't miss. So I was kind of like, well, I'll get you a computer. And then I'm like, I'll get you this software. It's called quick <laughs> you know and I would set it up for him and he's like well I don't know how to use it I mean it's like can you just do you want to just so I so he's like do you want to do it and so that just kind of led to I, I took a sabbatical mm. from consulting I couldn't just like die, you know I mean <laughs> I took a sabbatical I helped Matt out for like I think it was only like a matter of weeks mm. it was like five weeks into helping him out he then like He then, like, proposed we go to, like, Cabo or something that weekend to go surf. There was a good swell coming. Let's go to Cabo. And I'm like, just, we're just going to go? Like, in two days? I mean, we didn't even buy tickets. He's like, we'll just buy tickets now. Like, for two days? Two days from now? And he's like, yeah, sure. Like, where are we going to stay? He's like, we'll find somewhere. So we, like, go to Cabo. We serve our brains out. We come back. And then, you know, two weeks later, he's like, you want to go to Costa Rica, like, next month? and. Like, this is what you, you don't have to request time off. You don't have to like notify anyone. You just like bail and go surfing. He's like, yeah, this is, yeah, this is what we do. He's like, next year we should go to this, you know, this place in Fiji I love called Tabarua. And I'm like, you're just going to go to Fiji. Like you've already, we've already been surfing, you know, on these trips for like, we've probably gone like five weeks already. And we're just going to go on another one. And he's like, why not? You Mm know? And it was just like so foreign to be able to just, Do whatever you want, whenever you want. We would roll up to the factory at nine and then we would grab our surfboards and then we would drive to the beach because the factory was two blocks from the beach and go surfing. And then we'd come back and like grab lunch and then we would start working at like one o'clock. And I mean, we didn't have kids then. So we were just like working from one to eight and then we would go have dinner. And then, I mean, it was just, unbelievable like yeah. the the flexibility right. the
0: like ease
1: right. the casualness i right. mean nobody's keeping track of you mm-hmm. nobody's like you know keeping tabs mm-hmm. or asking where you've been <laughs> it was just incredible so i mean the allure was just so strong that i i bailed and do on... you feel happier oh my gosh it was the best decision ever <laughs> i mean I, I don't even know who i would have could have been mm-hmm. i don't even know who that person was <laughs> honestly like i i I discovered myself when I made that decision. I, I I, I, like
0: decided on my own path, basically, Mm. you know? And do you ever think that you see your brother's path as like the path you could have taken? And you see, like, do you ever observe that? I feel like there are several, I've, I'm the oldest of four. And, um, you know, one of my brothers is a lawyer. Another one is like a designer. Um, my sister is now getting her PhD and all of them pursuing paths that were the ones that, you know, my parents, I think, would have preferred that I pursued as well. Yeah, but
1: yeah, I mean, I could have easily just stuck to stuck to the you know traditional path. Mm-hmm. I mean, for my brother, I think it's just more fitting for his mm-hmm. personality. But for me, you know, I just always probably always had a little more of my dad in me. I was just <laughs> like gonna blaze my own trail. You know, he left his. He was like the eighth of, like, 10 kids, and he just left his home country, left Mm -hmm. his town, just, like, went to America to, Mm -hmm. like, find his own deal, you know? And, I mean, that's pretty ballsy. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, jumping ship and going into the surf industry
0: probably wouldn't have surprised my dad, Mm -hmm. even though he probably would have, like, (laughs) disapproved. Can I ask you about, like, because your dad passed away unexpectedly, and I don't think Asian families... Well, we don't talk about feelings and we don't share in a lot of that kind of support if there's like grief or whatnot. It's like a very weird I mean, maybe that was just my family dynamic. I feel like, you know, my watching my dad and his siblings and like just the lack of connection and support was hard. Um, so do you feel like I mean, just how did you guys handle that grief?
1: Yeah, I mean, pretty I think standard just kinda bury it down mm-hmm. deep in <laughs> <laughs> Pretty so, <huge. laughs> Yeah, pretty pretty standard, I think, when it comes to Chinese cultural mm-hmm. dealing with emotional mm-hmm. distress. Mm-hmm. You know, my brothers I, you know, we did what was our duty, you mm-hmm. know, and we moved home. Mm-hmm. You know, we took care of business mm-hmm. for my mom. We mm-hmm. took care of the estate mm-hmm. and we took care of, you know, issues that arose. So she didn't have to feel like burden, mm-hmm. you know, cause she had, she hadn't worked in mm-hmm. years and mm-hmm. to lose, you know, the breadwinner yeah. and the husband, the, her husband and like the man of the house. Yeah. But my little brother was also only 14 mm-hmm. and I really stepped in to sort of be the other parent for him mm-hmm. and that was a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like I had to do that otherwise he was in such a critical time in his life that I was worried he'd veer off. Yeah. But we you know it's like we never sat down as a family and like talked about it mm-hmm. or went to grief
0: counseling
1: mm-hmm. or none of that. Mm-hmm. I mean we just kind of like did what was necessary to move forward. How old and, were you at the time? I was 25. Oh, okay. Yeah, my little brother's 14. Yeah. My older brother is twenty six. Mm. Um, he lived in the Bay Area, so it wasn't as he wasn't as quick to move mm. home because he had his life up there. Mm. So I moved home and kind of mm. held down the fort. Mm. Went to you know the parent teacher conferences. Mm. Like my mom had to navigate like mm. you know teacher like school and my little brother wasn't doing great, mm. so he was kind of floundering a mm. little bit. So I just kind of served in that role mm. for him and you know tried to do the things. Not that our dad would have done with him, like bring him to Laker games. But you know, just trying to like give him a childhood dad, that man. he wouldn't look back on and feel like he missed out yeah. because he, his dad wasn't around. You know, yeah. so brought him brought him on a surf trip with me one time to Hawaii to do a contest at Queens. Wow, that, <laughs> that was fun. He was he was eleven. No, no, I'm sorry. He was like oh, he was younger. No, this was before my dad passed. <laughs> Yeah, so he was younger. He was like 11. Mm. But just brought him to do stuff
0: and mm. we became really close because oh, of it. That's nice. Um, so Margaret was featured in Surfer magazine um before it, the doors of the publication shuttered on the last publication. Um, but it was a, a wonderful article about surfing and motherhood, and you know, had an yeah I mean, motherhood is hard enough as it is, and <laughs> building I mean, you run two businesses essentially, and with Bing and the retail shop. So like, um, and then she was also, I found this out before we jumped on this recording that um, potentially the first woman ever to surf in Taiwan, the first woman to stand up on a board. You want to tell that story? (laughs) Yeah, no, I was just, you know, we would, we would go back and visit my grandmother
1: and my mom's side of the family and occasionally my dad's side of the family every few years. And I remember uh, it was like, I think it was right after I graduated from UCLA and it was sort of my last trip before I had to go into the working world. Um, Went to Taiwan for the summer, took like a road trip down to Kanding in the south of the island. And, you know, it was kind of like, this is an island. There's got to be surf here. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's got to be surf somewhere. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't, there weren't weren't surfers. Mm -hmm. I mean, you didn't see surf Mm -hmm. shops. You didn't see (laughs) any like, Rem- like semblance of surfing and so we're down in Kanding for like a th- we took like the tour bus down there you know the overnighter and we um we ended up getting a place in this we were on the beach and across the street was this like it said surf hostel Ooh. and I was like what is this surf hostel <laughs> so you know we got a broom in there and uh I walk across the street and the owner everyone called him Urka, mm-hmm. like, brother number two. I don't know why. He was kind of like this older dude and he was out surfing, this little Mm right-hander and he was the only person surfing. Everybody was just kind of on the beach under major umbrellas. Like, (laughs) people wanted to be on the beach, but they didn't want to be in the sun. So we were just hanging out in the sun. I was like, I'm going to walk over there to that point and ask him if I could, you know, catch a ride on his board. So I went over there he was riding. I remember he was riding a McTavish surfboard, Australian-made surfboard. Mm -hmm. And he was walking up the beach with it, and I said, "Hey, um, I'm you know, can I can I take your board out for a few waves in in Mandarin?" And he's like, "You can surf." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." And he's like, "Where are you from?" And I was like, "I'm from California." He's like, "Okay." <laughs> so he, he like lets me take his surfboard out, and literally, there's not one soul surfing. There's no boogie board. There's not <laughs> even anybody in the water. I mean, mm. and he he like watched me on the beach catching a couple waves, and then like I came in, and he says you're the first girl I've ever seen ride a wave like on your feet. Like there's boogie boarders. Like, cause the, um, quite a few Japanese surfers mm-hmm. were traveling to Taiwan occasionally. So they, he was getting surf travelers just mm-hmm. from Japan, mm-hmm. but he said the girls were all boogie boarders. Mm-hmm. Um, so he'd never seen a girl actually ride, ride a surfboard. So then the next day he's like, I'll take you to another break on the other side of the peninsula. So he took me to this spot called Jalosui mm-hmm. and I just had a blast. Mm-hmm. It was like Sano, and mm-hmm. it was so fun. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting. Like a, it was like a three day trip, and I got to surf two sessions, and then you know went back to Taipei, where my family's from, and then went back to the U.S. And then ten years later, after I you know started running, Bing surfboards with my husband, um, we were selling surfboards in Taiwan to a couple shops, and they were organizing. They said the Chinese, the Taiwanese government gave them like a grant Mm -hmm. to, um, for this magazine they were starting and they were, they wanted to do a a story on, you know, my husband, me, like our, they said, bring a team writer. We're also going to invite, um, the Wegener brothers, Tom and John. It was so random. (laughs) So it was Tom, John Wegener. Me, Matt, and our team writer, Chris Del Moro. And we all went to Taiwan and stayed in my grandma's house for like a night and then drove, um, out to the coast and like toured with this group of like surfers, like the editor of the surf magazine. They also had a, um, a notable, like a couple notable actors mm. who were surfers, mm. like, um, who I became friends with and I'm still friends with. Um, his name's Yao Yang Hao. He kind of is like the um the like famous symbol of surfing in in the Taiwanese like mm. celebrity scene or something, <laughs> so um we went all over and i went we went back down to Kunding and we went to Erga's hostel and he had a photo of me and him on the wall from like oh. ten years ago, <laughs> and he, I was like, "Do you remember me?" and he's like, "Yeah, <laughs> like you're the first girl who surfed in Taiwan, so That's so cool. It was yeah, and then we went to a school down there and kind of like introduced ourselves. It was really it was cool just to go full circle with like my culture, my family's culture, and like bring it all back. And actually, Taiwan's—I've been there several times. And scored epic waves. Uh,
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know if anybody knows this, if you haven't been to Taiwan, but it looks a lot like Hawaii in a lot of places. Mm. Um, I was asked to go on a travel article there to cover their national pastime at the time, which was cycling. Um, So I unexpectedly ended up riding like 45 miles in one day without having been on a road bike in like (laughs) 10 years or something like that. Yeah. race organizers because they had all these reporters from the United States go over there and you know we had like warned them I haven't been on a bike in like a really long time and so like I had to go buy like shoes like not clip-in shoes or whatever just like some sneakers so I wasn't expecting to do this so like I rode the thing and they had like you know pit stops along the way so you get snacks and like water or whatever and I just kept thinking if I stop I'm never gonna get back on this bike so I'm not gonna stop so I just kept going and you know 45 miles later, wow. I get off at that final stop because I was like, yeah, now I think I'm done. Cause it was supposed to go 65 miles. I was supposed to go, like, you know, I got off, and then someone saw my number, he's like, Oh my god, everybody has been looking for you. We've been on walkie-talkies searching for you for the past few hours. Like we thought you were dead on a ditch. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't checking in in the pit stops, I guess. It was crazy. But um, Taiwan is beautiful. now the surf scene is definitely much more prominent and popular. It's funny because I do remember there were beaches, um, you know, because we had only moved back from Taiwan like a, two years ago. Um but that there are cordoned off sections of the ocean that you're allowed to like go swim in. It's like a small little square or rectangle. And then if you go beyond that, then the lifeguards get mad at you. So, yeah. um, if you are going to do it, you have to be on a bo- boogie board or some sort of thing to be in the water. But I just remember that was such a contentious moment with, you know, my marriage wasn't doing great at that time already, but you know, my ex-husband is this white man. And I, I got to see what it's like to grow up in two different cultures. I got to see what it's like to be raised with that collectivist understanding and the rules and you do whatever the greater good tells you to do and then the very western i'm gonna do whatever i want to do because (laughs) you're not going to tell me what to do so like the frustration that i experienced from him of feeling like completely confined all the time to having to do these things it was just so interesting to see um how you know like it was difficult for me because i felt like i was trying to straddle two different wants you know like the want of respecting the mother culture that like we were in and then also at the time like trying to be in a marriage with like someone who didn't grow up with those understandings and who grew up with a very different understanding of like you make yourself known you like you know blaze your own trail. yeah you blaze your own <laughs> trail and you know what's interesting yeah. is in
1: taiwan surf or going on the beach and in the ocean only had become legal like you know within the last two decades mm. And because before that, you know, there was always this constant threat of China mm. and like being an island, the military policed the beaches. Mm. So people really couldn't go on the beaches mm. or they could only go in like very limited designated <clears throat> areas and they could definitely not go in the water. So in in the tradition of that, when they started allowing people to go on the beaches in the water, wherever, if there was a hurricane coming... Mm. They went back and policed those, mm. those beaches like very strictly. Mm. And it's illegal to, to surf, be in the water during like a window before the hurricane mm. up until a window after the hurricane to the point where there's like a police officer walk, you know, walking up and down the sand, mm. making sure that nobody's surfing. How did you catch swell then during storms? So, <laughs> like, I know, which is interesting because I mean, the first time I went there, I only remember surfing small waves, mm. which is fine. Mm-hmm. But the the second, the trip that we went there with the group for the magazine, it's like these double back-to-back hurricanes were coming, and there was all this talk about, you know, getting this big swell and this big wave spot, but we, you know, we had to go at dark,
0: paddle out,
1: and, like, be out of the water by, like, the time the cops showed up, mm. or the military showed up. So, I mean, inherently like surfing, being such a western mm-hmm. sport, mm-hmm is already sort of like a rule breaking, like, you know, these like renegade mentality, which is very contradicting of, you know, the culture there. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's interesting to see the, like the two collide, the two cultures like collide. And yeah, sure enough, we (coughs) snuck out there dead of dark. I mean, it was creepy, you know, finally, like it got light enough and it was huge. And, you know, we, (laughs) We got the waves, and then we had to, like, split. I mean, at one point, like, we had to, like, run, (laughs) you know, because the the cops showed up, and it was, like, they'll ticket you, and Mm. it was – even, like, the following day, once the hurricane – or the typhoon hit, I mean, it was unsurfable, but then the day after that, we tried to go out to, like, catch the tail end, Mm. And it was literally, like, ankle slappers. Like, mm. it was so small, but the cops were still mm. policing, and they were like, nope, can't go in the water. We're mm. like, it is literally a lake out there. <laughs> no one's drowning in this, but they're like, nope,
0: it's it's still in the window. Like, you mm. cannot go out there. So, mm. it's really interesting. That's really funny, because one of the jokes that um, my ex-husband had developed was the crossed arms. yeah, <laughs> You, like, cannot. There's, like, no option. So... As we wrap up this interview, um, one of the questions that I asked everybody is in this idea of like fuck saving face and, you know, creating a new definition of what it means to be Asian American here in the U S today, or, you know, for next generations, what would you say is something that you wish would change or anything that you feel like you would just like to shine a light on?
1: I think what I, you know, wish for, for, say, my kids Mm -hmm. and their generation is that instead of feeling like the two cultures are at odds with each Mm -hmm. other and constantly feeling like you have to choose one Mm -hmm. or the other in whatever circumstance you're in, that they feel like they're just able to take the best of both Mm -hmm. and, like cafeteria you know where they're just like i'm gonna take the best thing from this you know asian culture and the best thing from this american culture and meld it into like their own deal Mm -hmm. and and be accepted for it you know Mm -hmm. and just be not feel like they're always living under a cloud of Mm -hmm. expectation you know (laughs) culturally i mean it's it's going to be inevitable that they're gonna have to live with sort of like the parental expectation Mm -hmm. you know of what we feel strongly about, but. To not feel the additional burden mm. of like the cultural expectation you know mm-hmm. i mean it's it's ironic because as like a surf family that is in the surf industry, I mean that industry comes with a certain amount of like what's the word I'm looking for like there's there's definitely this these elements in our industry that's like. You know, weed smoking, mm-hmm. like, like <laughs> surfer loafers that yeah. are just, like, cruising around trying to get waves and not really being really responsible. Peter Pans. Mm-hmm. You know? And, I mean, it's not – It's those are stereotypes, obviously, mm-hmm. but, like, holy you know, <laughs> Fast Times, and um, you know, it's like I almost feel like I need to, like, make sure I counter that mm-hmm. for them so that they oh, do honey. remember that, like, oh, we're, you know, we're business people. Mm-hmm. We're not just, like, surfers, mm-hmm. you know? In business, you're business people who are surfers (laughs) and to ingrain that like work ethic in them that Mm -hmm. may be lost in the like, cruisy, Mm -hmm. you know, casualness of our
0: community, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I love.
1: It's just, you know, want them to have drive too. So I don't
0: know if that answers your question. Yeah, and I think (laughs) it's great because I feel like I now have a lot of friends who have half and half children so that when my daughter goes out that she sees people who look like her. And so she'll have people who have like similar cultural upbringings because they will have also been straddling like, you know, two different cultures and stuff. So that's really great. Um, One bonus question that I forgot to ask was... When you decided to marry Matt or to be with Matt, did your mom have anything to say about the fact that he is like not Asian? Um, no.
1: And like I said, I was really lucky. I feel like my mom has reserved a lot of judgment (laughs) over the years, just knowing that I have a fairly like strong personality Mm -hmm. and I'm just kind of going to do what I want to do anyway, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was like it didn't matter if Mm. she wanted to express any (laughs) disapproval. So she was always very reserved, but Mm. you know, yeah, she didn't, she wasn't like, I didn't sense any disapproval Mm. from her at all, but I, you know, I'd already dated. I mean, I dated my, you know, Asian guys Mm -hmm. before, but you know, I dated Caucasians Mm. and Hispanics and Mm -hmm. like, you know, so she already knew that it wasn't, wasn't going (laughs) to be like, you know, yeah, (laughs) pretty like strong chance. It was not going (laughs) to be an Asian, Uh, That I was gonna marry, but um, yeah, it it was she was she really everybody liked Matt. I mean, Mm -hmm. Matt's very likable, Mm -hmm. so it's she was just happy that I'd found you know my person Mm -hmm. and my calling, Mm -hmm. and you know he came as a package deal. Like he had (laughs) he was had a business that you know was he was gonna incorporate me in, and he also offered me a place to live in in exchange for like the you know, the drop in salary I was going to take. So, I mean, he pretty much, like, came yeah. as a package deal that was, like,
0: yeah. you know,
1: if I was going to go do that life, I mean, he made it, you know.
0: Very appealing. Very
1: ready <laughs> yeah. to, like, res- I wasn't going to have to struggle, right, you know. So, right. she she was just happy that I was
0: happy and well, was taken great. care of.
1: You know, the one thing I will say about what I do hope for the next generation is I definitely hope that, my like, my kids feel comfortable talking about emotional and mental Mm -hmm. you know distress because i think as a generation they're already going to have to deal with a lot more anxiety and because of covid and everything everything i mean there's just everything's just so fast now and so like immediately and so you know online that i think they that generation is gonna have to deal with coping with so much more than our generation. we just kind of buried our heads in the sand and like if you didn't pull up the internet or the news, you weren't really that troubled, but they are going to just be bombarded with it at all all the time. So I, I hope that they don't feel the same kind of limitation with talking about it with us and feeling like they can come to us for the support they need instead of, you know, doing drugs or, you know, (laughs) drinking or like worse, you know, that's really great.
0: Yeah. I think so. Cause I think that that authoritarian, um, Parenting style, if you have all these expectations of how someone's supposed to be, then they can veer very far in the other direction and just hide it from you, which, um, is something that, you know, I mean, in my own experience, I was like, yep, never going to tell them anything. Never. I mean, even as adults too, like, you know, I would like to foster a different kind of relationship, but sometimes I just know if I bring up this, then these responses are going to happen. So it's just going to be easier if I just say it's all good. Everything's cool. (laughs) So like, yeah, you're totally right well thank you so much for your time (laughs) and um I will include links for if anybody wants to follow up with Margaret and um her surfer magazine article and just so you can learn more about Bing um I was lucky enough to get a custom made board from Matt for my birthday from my friends so that was a surprise and I screamed in utter delight (laughs) So, (laughs) thank you thank you thank you for joining us today I am excited to see you on Friday, where we will go into a mindfulness practice all about surfing the waves of life. Yes, it's a very obvious metaphor, (laughs) but I thought it would work for this week's theme. And then next week, we will be interviewing Rahi Chun, which I am also exceptionally excited about because we will be talking about sex. And whether you are Chinese-American, Asian-American, or whatever culture, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of topics about sex that people don't talk about. And Rahi and I are going to go into it. So see you on Friday for the mindfulness practice, and then see you next week.